Hello again. Welcome back, my friends, to the show you hope ends very quickly because we're, <laughs> we bring you no value. I mean, again, we just don't. And in our typical style, and I'm so sick of starting off shows like this, and yet I keep doing it. I'm sorry. And again, I have to you go back it. and edit Deep it. down, I think you love it. I don't. I, it's just bad habit. I got to break it. But welcome, Brennan. How are you today? Yo, 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 I'm doing good. I just got to say that that startup music that we got that new that's that is some slick. I dig it, man. It's kind of music that plays when you head into a into a, a, a bar in Europe. Basically, it's this smooth house music. Oh, that's yeah. In fact, that's what it is. And, you know, I'll have you know that I spent over 41 minutes researching clips to buy and I spent fifteen dollars. People say this is not a first rate operation. I have to disagree because we spent fifteen dollars <laughs> on that music and it's 30 seconds. I mean, this is not just some five-second clip. That's the start of the value, man. You heard that slick. You heard that slick jam here first. You did, and probably last because you already hung up on this shit. <laughs> but what we were starting to talk about, with no plan to do so, again as always, is Brendan asked me if I knew the story about uh, the comedian whose name I don't know, who was Shane Gillis. Shane Gillis, who was fired from Saturday Night Live before he actually ever appeared on on camera. Uh, why don't you recount that story quickly for those who may not know it? Yeah, no. So just briefly, he, Shane Gillis got cast on SNL and Saturday Night Live. And he ended up, before he could even have his first episode, they fired him because uh, some reporter had gone through and basically dug through years of Shane Gillis's tweets and content and all kinds of stuff and found one time where he once used the word chink to describe Chinese people, which means now I'm going to be, right. I'm going to be canceled because I just yes. said it. And then, uh, and then did an impression sort of Asian, uh, character for a second on this podcast that he recorded. And then, then SNL fired him. They were forced to fire him because there was this outrage. Is it in bad taste? Was it not that funny? Yeah, I don't, I went back and watched podcast. I didn't think it was that funny. It was, was it in bad taste? You can argue it was in bad taste, but should the guy get fired and all this stuff? I mean, this is an old argument, but you know, I'm just bringing it up because like it, it just it feels it feels very relevant. I know what you say. I think it's so inappropriate. People make fun <laughs> of the of the ethnicity, and they like they like you better than me. You think you white? You better than me because I Asian? I just think that's just fucked up, as they say in American culture. I just think that I'm so sick of people do this shit. They make fun of us. We oh, just man. American oh, no. citizens. I'm so canceled. I'm so canceled just because I'm on this show now. Well, that was my goal. That was my <laughs> when we actually started this podcast in 2016. I had one objective. That was to eliminate any possibility of you ever making it big in comedy because you <laughs> fucking wrecked my career and you really did. <laughs> so now we oh, evil man. white boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the point that I was making to my uncle here that I posed this against was meanwhile the New York Times can hire an editor who essentially tweeted, you know, white people are the fucking worst, white people should all die. And that's fine. And and then I said the icing on the cake is the fact that I was saying I'm I subscribe to the New York Times. I pay them money to have to listen to what they say and do. And it's just and and even I'm like, Jesus, guys, like this is ridiculous. It feels like that's the problem is it feels like we can't get our own house in order. You know, like we uh, meaning the, liberals, we meaning the liberals. Well, the yeah, libards. clearly you can't. You can't. That's the Dems. There's just all these principles that people believe in that suddenly, because of this environment that we're in, are now under the test. And we can see really quickly that a lot of people don't actually have any of the values and uh, that they've purported to have. Does that make sense? It does. And related to that is this the phenomenon that's clearly growing at the moment, which is the, the fact that people are now, even some on the left, are coming out publicly and admitting the bias in the media, the larger media. Uh, I mm. think that's a huge story. This was a major media source that is clearly on the left was coming out and saying, we've passed the point of reasonableness here with regard to the bias that we have. Yep. Well, just as an example, I was going to bring this up before, you know, we started, we, we, we kicked off the show, but like, I like the New York times, the daily, it's one of the, the sort of daily podcasts that I listen to. And the New York times just this week had an episode, two brothers, the story of two brothers from Mexico. 
And let me just read you the notes on this. Two brothers, Javier Morales, 48, and Martin Morales, 39, died of coronavirus within hours of each other in their adopted home of New Jersey. The last wish was to be buried at home in Mexico, but to make that happen, their family must navigate the vast bureaucracies of two countries, international airfare and the complications of a pandemic. Why did you think this episode bothered me? Distrust of every reported death that is attributed to the coronavirus because of all the shit that's come out regarding the classification of all these other deaths that had nothing to do with the virus. I don't know. Yeah, I'm guessing I'm wrong. yeah, so the 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 I mean, obviously, it's it's alarming that two you know two people died within hours of each other. This guy's thirty nine, one's forty eight. Was it actually a car accident? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they died of coronavirus, which is obviously sad, and that that was a little bit shocking. But there's a weird part of me when I see reports like this that the New York Times does, where I think it's not that this story shouldn't be covered or that it's like it's there's something wrong about it being covered but there's a part of me that goes who the fuck is this story supposed to be for in a way Mm -hmm. because it's like this this is do i want to wander into listening to just having a bunch of my liberal biases believing that it's like okay immigrants from mexico automatically there's a box checked in terms of like here's another thing i can get mad at exactly there's there's problems with navigating the bureaucracies because we're we're angry at so it's like how many angering triggering things as a liberal can I hear in one paragraph? Yeah. No, I get that. Where it's I like, see that now. The coronavirus killed two guys. Our our response, you know what I mean? And the, they're immigrants. Un, the unspoken statement is our response wasn't good enough. You know whose fault that is, right? Of course. Then, Orange like, man bad. Part, yeah, exactly. Then the second part is like their last wish to be buried in Mexico, but to make that happen, their family must navigate the vast bureaucracies of two countries because it's so complicated because of you know who, right? Right. Like, we're gonna fuck them. We're gonna fuck them even after they're dead. Yeah, it's the yeah. It, like I I list, I read this paragraph and I was like, dude, I I really do, and I know we had to have a fundamental disagreement about this, but I really do like the New York Times and I like listening to them. I, I think that. There obviously is biases in their reporting. I think that in today's world, trying to triangulate the truth between different media sources, I actually think they're a good one. I don't mind paying for you know whatever th- two three bucks a month in order to listen I, to support them and get the daily podcasts and stuff. But like I just saw this this episode and was like, this is exactly why this shit is fucked up. You could have reported on anything. I'm not saying this is a story that's not worth reporting or telling. But I think you do hear what I'm saying, which is that I do. This is like it. Who is this for? You know what I mean? Like this is this is like a party within the ivory tower where everybody at the party is just constantly patting themselves on the back about like how morally superior their position is. And that that stuff just as someone who's in that camp, that stuff really bothers me. Like, I don't think it's doing anything good in the world. You know well, what I mean? It's because I think what separates you from a lot of people who share your views is the fact that you really are thoughtful. You are a you are a very thoughtful person. In fact, that's one of the, the first words that comes to mind when I think of you, and I mean that in the most positive way. And every, and, and in fact, not only that, but I mean it in like every sense of that word. Like you're an actual thoughtful person. In fact, it's crazy. This thought occurred to me the other day. No idea that I was going to be bringing mentioning it now, of course. But when I had my motorcycle accident. Yeah. Uh, which happened in November of 2016. I received flowers from one person. Yeah, and that was that me? <laughs> that was you. Oh, man. You were it. Well, that makes me feel nice. You were it. Now, granted, I didn't tell many people, so I can't blame everybody. But still, the fact that you did that actually mattered to me. And you're just a thoughtful person. But back to my real point. You will think about things rather than just knee-jerk agree with them. Yeah, And I think, and again, this comment is not just pointed at the liberal side of the fence, but I do think it applies slightly more to that side in terms of this is our narrative and we're sticking to it. A narrative just gets put forth and everybody just goes along with it and suddenly things that would be kind of crazy just seem normal because so many people are going along with it. Yep. And I, and, and, and again, I know we're kind of talking in circles here and we've We've talked about this kind of thing a lot in the past, and I'm, you know, I think we should make an effort not to repeat ourselves. But again, as you already said it, we can't, we kind of can't escape it because of just what's going on in the world right now. Like you look at New York, and again, I say this all the time, I've unplugged from the news as best I can. But 
I mean, can you can you tell me what's going on in, in New York in terms of reopening? How do I want to say this? There's like kind of two things that I want to pose next to each other. Um, one is that, first of all, New York, I want to say like de facto is kind of already like open. Uh, that all the people I know who still live there never left the city for the pandemic are like, dude, nobody gives a shit about social distancing right now. Like people are walking around in masks, but a ton of people don't have masks and everybody's just wandering around the city. I haven't been there in two months. I have no idea whether or not that's occurring. First of all, that's slightly alarming to me if that's the case, but it sounds like it's the case. And then I don't really know what the like plan is in terms of like phased reopening of the city of New York or like any of this stuff. Like I have no idea. So I don't know. I don't think that really answers your question about no. What's and I going think we're gonna have New to York. just wipe out that entire six minutes right there because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't informed, and I asked you to inform me, and you were just as uninformed. So that's fantastic. Are you, are you paying for a place in New York right now? Uh, I am, oh, but like man. the, the, the rental situation is what's in, entirely insane right now in New York. And not only that, but there's a tremendous number of people in the city of New York who cannot afford rent mm-hmm. right now. Right. The fact that there is not some kind of program, the number of people who can't go to work and then it just expect them to, especially in the city of New York, to just be able to afford continuing to live in their apartments yeah, we're not going to let you go to work, but you still have to keep paying your bills. Okay, but let me let's let's actually discuss this because one, I completely respect what you're saying, totally understand it, perfectly logical, reasonable, makes a lot of sense. Now I'll argue the other side. I own the building you live in. I am paying a four hundred thousand dollar a month mortgage on that building, and yep. I got to make that payment no matter what. Yep. And I'm leasing to however many people are in that building, and. Half of them have sent me messages indicating that they may not pay me or that they're not going to pay me. I still have to pay. So what am I supposed to do? Just say, oh, gee, I'm really sorry, Brendan, that you can't pay. I'll, I'll eat that. Uh, you know, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. And I think that, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you're saying that. But in reality, that's the truth for lots of people. And so what's the right answer? I don't know. Yeah, I, this is what I yeah, no, I don't know either. But I think one of the things that uh, that I would suggest you check out and everybody checks out is uh, Sam Harris's uh, Making Sense. He had a conversation with Daniel Markovitz. He's a professor of I think he's a professor of law at Yale. He had a very interesting perspective on this, which is he said that there should be, he believes, there should be a one-time wealth tax in the United States. should happen right now to pay for a lot of the coronavirus uh, spending. And the point, and whether or not you agree with that, like, let's just... Well, how would that work exactly? Yeah, I know. Let's let's just table the the particulars of it, which right. uh, you could argue, I suppose, do matter, but let's just table the particulars of it for a moment. The The fundamental underlying reason for this was he was like, Everybody, we are all in this together and everybody should should be should be helping to pay this, to pay for this. And I think that there is a sense of community. And again, I mean, this is not not a solution to the problem, but I think that this there's this thing that's moving around that 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 is relevant to the conversation, which is that there's this sense of community that's like not happening. Like I can't pay my bills. So fuck me, basically. And that has a just in the way that you described has a rolling effect that then affects other individuals. Like if you own the building, you know what I mean? Like if you're the bank that has underwritten those loans or whatever. Yep. I mean, the sense of community is just not there at all. I would also agree with this guy, Daniel Markovitz, just in his assessment that it's like it doesn't feel like there's. It doesn't feel like you and I are both attempting to tackle this the problem of this pandemic together. It feels like I'm trying to tackle it for me and you're trying to tackle it for you and never no never the twain shall meet. We shall we're each going to do this on our own, every man for himself. Well, I don't disagree, but I think that's just a that's just a natural result of a capitalistic society where there are winners and losers economically. And that's just the way it is, because if you, quote, win in the situation you just described, somebody loses. And if somebody else wins, you lose. So there's just no getting around that. And, and when 
When it comes down to money, I mean, nothing separates people like money. Nothing can just fuck up a relationship like the dollar. And, and again, there's just no getting around that. That's just the nature of money. That's the nature of human beings. You know, we all want our share. And we all feel that when we're taken advantage of, that we want to we right that wrong if we, if we feel we were economically deprived somehow. And yep. that's just a fundamental condition of life. And, and, you know, the only way to get around that is to, to live in a, in a society where those things don't, you know, those, those issues aren't as, as dominant like communism or something along those lines where, um, you know, for, for the tiny advantage of, well, we're not arguing about money. No, but we're arguing about everything else. Here's what I think. I think that to me, this situation is, is showing me that there needs the, the United, it is in the United States's interest. It is in all of our best interest to try to find some kind of middle path because the way that it is existing currently. I completely disagree. And I don't even care how you end your thought there. I just disagree. And here's why. Because again, you cannot have this situation that we have, this culture, this society that we have, which in my opinion, bar none, is is easily the best in the history of the world. I mean, it, it just is. And I found it so interesting when we had your friend Bill on. And you know, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about William Batiste the Third, who is a very interesting character. We did a podcast with him recently. You should check it out because. Uh, I was just really impressed with this dude. And he said some things that I thought were really interesting, specifically about his love for America. Yeah, he really does. And I mean, it's it's worth keeping in mind. Like he he's a good, I think, so in defense of the statement you're making, I think that we and I can sometimes be jaded by the fact that it's like, look, you live in this amazing society and social environment that- We take for you, granted. Yeah, you can easily take for granted because it's so good. And exactly. when you're in another situation or place, it can be difficult. I mean, one of the things Bill is fond of saying is he's like when he talked when he went to Malaysia and talked to one of his um, cousins uh, who is from India, he said, if the bus is late in America, you still believe the bus is going to show up. He's like in India, if the bus is late, you might not you might not even get a bus today. Like, it's just, you, you never really know. Right. And I think that there's some, I think that there is something there. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is I really think there has to be a middle path. Yeah, there's got to be something. Well, let me just that, say one more thing and then I, then I won't interrupt you again. But to me, sure. I think we're only having this conversation, or I should say, you're only making the point you're about to make, whatever it is. You're only making that point because of these extraordinary circumstances we're in, in which you know, you're having to deal with this issue that you just described about whether you pay rent or not. And I would argue that this is a kind of thing that we may never see again in your lifetime. In fact, I, I would almost predict that we won't see it again in your lifetime. So to try to reshape public policy or societal policy for such an extraordinary event that, you know, I think when it's all said and done, and don't even, don't even react to this, but I'm just making the point just to make it, which is, when it's all said and done, I'm going to think most of us are going to look back and say we never should have done that at all. And so even more reason not to reshape policy because it wasn't even legit in the first place. And even if it was, even if it was legit, I would still argue this is a once in a lifetime and we shouldn't be changing policy to deal with something that's so extraordinary. I think it's reasonable to say we shouldn't be building policy around shooting stars. You know, like right. these things happen so rarely that like, I mean, literally it was a hundred years. I mean, you could say the Hong Kong flu, I guess, was the last kind of, you know, one that actually affected the United States. But no, it's been over a hundred years since the pandemic affected our way of life. And that's what's happening here. There's some, so, okay, so I think that there's, there's, there's some truth to that. But the, the opposite side of that is I think that what's, what's more likely potentially to consider is that the period of growth and stability the United States had from 1945 until this year, that's the anomaly. That it's more likely in the history of human affairs that things will be in crisis, there will be problems, there will be all kinds of issues, and strong communities working together can overcome those problems. I think that that is worth considering. First of all, I think this, the second part of this, though, is that it 
I think that this is actually stress testing ideological positions, which is like if, if we're supposed to believe that everybody's just in it for themselves, if you're someone who's who's graduating from college, you know what I mean? You've got forty thousand dollars in debt. You were expecting a job. Suddenly the economy shut down. You're going to who knows when it's going to open back up. Uh, you're trying you're now you got to start paying bills. You're going to go into forbearance on these loans straight away. I, I don't see the the value in wanting to participate in that in the system you're saddled with a whole bunch of debt you're essentially responsible for all of this even though this is what basically everybody's told you to do and i don't see in any any good way out of it like you're 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 just fucked due to your luck and circumstance and i could see somebody saying well look that's the truth for all of us well then what's the point of being in a community you know what I mean? What's the point of, of doing? I thought we were all here to kind of support each other. I don't think we need to go so far as to do a, you know, to make it uh, some kind of socialism or command economy or communism or anything like this. But it, it feels like it makes sense to have some 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 community support here. You yeah. Know what I mean? and, it's, yeah. And, and, you know, on paper and, and just in spirit, I completely agree with you. But I think, again, what it comes down to is. Either you have a capitalist society or you don't. And if every time you introduce something that that would that would uh, interfere with the natural market flow and forces that would that would occur organically, like you rack up student debt but somebody else pays it off, uh, every time you do that, you erode that system a little bit. And you know we could we could probably have a pretty interesting conversation. Uh, on a much narrower topic, which I think we should have at some point, because I really don't know what the issues are in terms of the cost of education. Uh, well, one, you know, I went to Michigan State. I graduated a long time ago. And I can recall, I can actually recall the cost of a term at Michigan State. You know, three, what, what th was it? Uh, I think it was something like three grand. Yeah. In, so what, like in three, what year? Uh, uh, I don't want to say that out loud. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't, a long time ago. But I mean, that is a tiny fraction of what it costs now. The relative rise of the cost of higher education is so out of sync with all other rises in costs of things in this country. Yep. And I don't know why that is. And to, that would be, I, I actually, now that I've said that out loud, I really wanna know. Part of the issue is that all of these colleges have to compete for tuition dollars from students and students want to decide what colleges they go to. I mean, we've created this environment where, you know, each one of these students, because they can get loans, because there's a, the state has an interest in educating people, they can pay this money, you know, basically consequence free from the time that they're trying to pay it. I mean, obviously those consequences come later, but like the, the from the time they're trying to pay it, there's no consequence. You could just go ahead and give a loan. College debt is the most collectible debt there is. It could, they, they, can file, they can follow you for your entire life, you know what I mean, it, trying to pay this off. So the reason I say this is because this has created an atmosphere in which a lot of these large schools are trying to compete with each other for being a place that students want to go to. So what does that mean? That means obviously academics are important, of course, but that's just one box and a number of other boxes that they're trying to check, including we've got great exercise facilities. Look how hot our other students are. We're on Playboy's list of party schools in the United States. We have an amazing looking campus. We've got great dining facilities. We have unbelievable dorms that you want to go check out. We have programs that people get hired from because those look like this. And we've got great international programs. I mean, like these things just go, they're just astronomical. And because all of these schools are competing with each other, the amount of things that they are spending to create only inflates the cost. But because there's no consequence or need to, uh, it's an elastic cost, basically, for all the people who are attending school. It doesn't matter if I take out ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars or more in loans for a single semester. I can pay it off later because I got this great degree, right? Everybody believes that. That's why this has happened, basically, is this this completely bizarre situation. But it's that specific, uh, competitive attempt at these schools. I mean, you just look at Michigan State and Michigan in the state of Michigan. I mean, there are you know the University of Michigan's campus is like such a good example because there just are so many 
athletic, you know, training facilities that you can go to on U of M's campus as a student. There's like eight. Like, why the hell does the school need eight? Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, there's like it's it's crazy how many there are. You can go by if you go by the the Markley dorms uh, up on the uh, like sort of where all the freshmen basically go to. Those dorms look like they're a like five star hotel. Are like, you? It's kidding? unbelievable. The dining situation is unbelievable. The cafeteria is unbelievable. I think I went to, you know, when I lived in Boulder, a friend of mine was a, uh, a career counselor at the University of Colorado Boulder, and he invited me to lunch one day at their cafeteria. It's unbelievable. It's like it, it. You're. It's like I'm walking into a, like a a, Vegas style giant beautiful cafeteria at like the Paris Las Vegas. Their nicest caf. Their nicest cafeteria at Paris Las Vegas Casino. It's that except in the Boulder dorms. And wow. like that. That's part of the reason this has gone completely off the rails. None of those things are necessary to fund education. The point of the university should be education, but of course that's not the point of the university now because this this and I, I think this is where maybe it's it, you know our fundamental disagreement comes in 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 terms of this and it would be worthwhile to go through a series of of discussions on things like this because the profit motive has come into this university. I mean, university uh, officials like the the president of the university different people on the board, all these different people, like they can pay themselves ridiculous salaries because the university is making so much money. And they are doing that because they're getting all this money from essentially the future because students are taking out loans no. in order to do it. No, that's a very valid analysis. And uh, some of those things you shared, I didn't know, uh, assuming what you said is correct. And I assume that what you said is correct. You're right. And I think that, you know, one thing that blows my mind is the compensation of many public officials, not just you know university deans and things like that, but since we're talking about that specifically, you know when you see what some of these people make, it's crazy. I mean, I really think that, uh, and again, I'm now going to say something that I'm kind of shocked I'm going to say it because I am such a hardcore capitalist at heart, and not because I'm just a capitalist, but because to me, it is so clearly, of all the options available, it's so clearly the superior one. Mm. You know, it's not mm. even close. It's not even close. There's no other... Communism fucking sucks. Socialism sucks. You know, for all the advantages that you might get in one little area of your life, the larger, you know, the larger context is just so clearly inferior. Yeah. Having said that, I think that there are certain jobs that are so crazily overpaid. Like, I think, first and foremost, I think professional athletes. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, th the fact that you know, LeBron James, I have no idea how much money he makes. You know, he probably makes $100 million a year with endorsements. And I mean, that's not that's really not an exaggeration. He probably does make $100 million a year. And so uh, for someone like that who plays basketball, and it's not that I don't respect LeBron James. I do. He's a great player. I mean, I got yeah. no knock on him. I am just randomly picked him. But is no matter what he does on a basketball court— is that worth $100 million? And I would extend that to say no matter what the dean of the University of Michigan or the dean of Michigan State University or any other school you want to choose, are they really worth whatever they're paid? And yeah. I would I would say no, because again, yeah. especially in a situation, actually there's less reason in the educational context than there is in the athletic context, because in athletics, it's all about you know TV revenues and money coming in the door because you know, they can't pay those salaries unless the owners are making enough money to pay those salaries. So actually, I have less of a problem with LeBron James making $100 million than I do the president of, you know, some university making, let's say, $5 million or whatever they make. I have no idea what they make. But I'm guessing that there are, like, the dean of Harvard probably makes $5 million or more a year. I would bet without knowing a thing about it. Yeah. I would yeah, argue yeah, that I that person is not worth that. Typically, the highest paid public official in each state is the coach of the, uh, of the university football team. Oh, yeah. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. But again, I'll repeat the same thing that I said about LeBron. You know, that person is bringing in major revenue. Yeah. And I, so, it, yeah. It, 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 so, but here's, that's what's so fucking weird about this is that 
what is uh, there's um how do I even want to talk about this? So I love the LeBron example because I think that I just I said this just the other day and I used to have a joke about this where like this dude is holding a press conference, you know, to talk about where he's gonna go, like he's the fucking Julius Caesar of right of basketball. Right. And yeah, it, like he puts a ball in a hoop. Like that's what he does. Exactly. Same thing is true with like all these rappers where they're like, Yeah, man, like talking rappers of like spitting truth. Yeah, dude, you rhyme words to a beat that's what you do you don't do more than that right you 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 come up with interesting phrases some of that stuff is cool it's neat to listen to but you don't do more than that you're not out here you know curing polio or something you know what i mean like exactly so i think that's a good example because this is exactly the same thing what do you do when you're a foot university football coach you take you know a bunch of a bunch of basically para adolescents Yes. And essentially teach them how to run into each other. Well, that's basically yes. what your what your job is. And so it's crazy to me because it's like this is just the the amount of payment has completely outweighed it. And like that's what part of like so this question of of, you know, the the the, the profit motive, the free market, all this stuff is like, dude, I'm on board with those concepts. The, but the thing that's nuts about it is that like what is the purpose of the university is the purpose of the university to uh, basically maximize the uh, income for the people who work at the top echelon of the university. Because if that's the point, then we should definitely double down on football stadiums, football teams, etc. Like we're just it's almost like there's this weird like the concept of reform. I'm about to say some crazy shit that's going to like you know, but I, me I to hang up. I'm going to come back and I'm going to make a point is that the, the, the concept of reform is almost just deciding what this thing is going to be and then arranging the rules around it so it can be that thing. No, that's just and logic. So, that's just logic. Yeah. Well, so as an example, like, you know, people like Napoleon Bonaparte, he's, you know, it's one of my favorite subjects in history. Such an interesting guy, um, such an interesting time the French revolution, all this sort of stuff. But uh, people talk about like the Napoleonic code and like, why, like, why was Napoleon? So, like to this day, there are still like Louisiana is still functions on the Napoleonic code, the state of Louisiana, basically. It's a 200 year old system of law. And w- why is it so effective? And a big part of it was just that Napoleon looked at a lot of these old structures that had existed during the French monarchy and basically was like, this is supposed to be this, but it's functioning like this other thing. Just to use the specific example, like the university is supposed to exist to educate people, but there's this massive, you know, sports program that takes in a tremendous amount of revenue to these universities, ostensibly the idea is that it's supposed to be able to fund education. But like, if you look into the dollars and cents of this stuff, there's no freaking way that that's exactly true. And so it's just this like bizarre, like, almost cancerous growth on the purpose of the university. So it's the same thing. It's, the, it's classic tail wagging the dog. Let's just imagine that tomorrow there was a mandate that came in that said every university has to cut every program that is not directly tied to education. I I wonder what universities would look like tomorrow. I wonder what changes would occur. Probably, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be completely honest, a ton of people would would leave the institutions. I mean, people who are responsible for the like the presidents of the universities and all and, you know, provosts and deans. And they probably would all just leave because they're like, I don't want to be involved in an institution that I can't, you know, be doing these extra purposeful things with. Uh, And I bet a lot of their incomes would be cut. Well, yeah. Well, I thought that's maybe the point. I thought maybe that's the only reason you were saying what you just said, because my guess is that the only reason that. Deans or whomever can make the big money they're making, those who do, are because the university is bringing in so much revenue from things like sports. Main, first and foremost, football. I mean, football is the cash cow at the places where football is big, like at Michigan. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got a stadium, the largest stadium in America. And I mean, just, in it's North just, America. Uh, yeah, it's, it's insane. I mean, it, I don't even know what the capacity of that place is now. I think it's in excess. 115,000, I think. I was going to say, I thought it was over 110 because they you know, they expanded it about a decade ago. But, yep. you know, major, major, major money in a fan base that is one of the most loyal and, you know, large and <clears throat> in America. And so uh, it's within the context that that 
revenue machine creates that allows those people to make those people the university officials to make as much as they do i'm guessing so you're right i think if you took away those those revenue streams it would look very different and you know that's a very interesting you know we stumble into this kind of interesting conversation here about you know what is the purpose of a university and i can tot- that said i can totally understand how things end up the way that they do because back when all this crap started you know Football was not a major, you know, I'm talking about like 1900 or something. You oh, know, yeah. Football was just something that, people, you know, they just had a football team. Each school had a football team. No one could have envisioned, or I said, I don't think so, that 100 years or 120 years later, you know, you'd have you'd have football coaches making $12 million a year. Yeah. You know, I think, so no, I don't think madness. people, yeah, I don't think people saw that coming. It just happened. Yeah. And, but, you know, so I think it's all organic. All this stuff just happened organically, and then you just wake up one day, and here you are, and this is just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think that's exactly true. I think it's like it's 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 just a this this is a weird you know it's unchecked growth. Unchecked growth means cancerous things can happen. That's what it means biologically. Right, but and, I mean, let's be careful here. Or at least I would ask you to be careful here in terms of cancerous growths. I don't know that I would label a, fo- a successful football program a cancerous growth necessarily. Would you? Well, I mean, I'm being hyperbolic, but the point the point is, is I, it would be you could consider it a cancerous growth if it's taking the attention and focus of a university whose purpose is supposed to be education to something else. Yeah, I no, think that's that, fair. That, that's fair. That but could I, be. I can I can promise you what what the argument against what you just said would be from probably from the university officials would be. Well, I don't think I would phrase it like that because it's the revenue that allows us to have this wonderful campus with all these eight workout facilities at the University of Michigan, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, and you go you like, know, why does the university have any workout facilities? Like, it's it's just, well, why, why can't come there on. be a... That's because it's a well a place to live a well-rounded life, and you got to have that kind of stuff. Yeah, but that's, that's part of the problem. But, like, just to draw back to the main issue is it's like, but why does it need eight workout facilities? Well, because the kids who want to go there want to go to a place that help them basically that look amazing and help them be the most amazing people they can be. And I don't know if the university should have any real vested interest. I mean, I'm not saying it shouldn't, but I don't really know if it should. I feel as that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. And Michigan probably is a poor example to use probably Colorado too, because like Michigan as an example, you know, the, and we can talk about this, Brendan and I only because we grew up, you know, I, I live right now, 15 minutes from Ann Arbor where University of Michigan is located. And um, and Brendan lived even slightly closer when he lived here. I lived, Yeah, I lived on campus, basically. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I mean, that that school is, you know, ex- I, I, don't, I don't have any stats in front of me. I just know from ex- personal experience and spending so much time in Ann Arbor that that is a very wealthy student population there. I mean, I don't know what the percentage of students from out of state is, but it's pretty high. And also yeah. international students, pretty high. And those people are paying a fortune to be there. And Yeah, that's exactly true. And uh, and they do so because of the great reputation of the school. I mean, so, you know, I'm happy for U of M. I really am. Even though I went to Michigan State, I have nothing but respect for Michigan as an institution. I don't think it's a typical place. You know, there's probably no, uh, maybe 10 or 20 universities that would fit into that basic category in America yeah. total. Yeah. And then there's all the others. Yeah, I think that I, I, so these are all fair points. I think that like I mean this what's missing from this discussion is like this idea of like what else could possibly be involved like why the because like the prestige that comes with the University of Michigan. If I was a university official defending everything that we were doing, I would say, well, why don't you try to quantify the value of the brand that the University oh, yeah. of Michigan Huge. or Michigan State University is worth in the marketplace, and that'll really tell you the kind of value we've created through this like you know, giant system of things that we've done. And fair enough. I mean, like that's a, you know, it's a a whole, you know, a whole other caveat of this discussion. I don't even know how you quantify that, but, but, but that is, I mean, that is fair. But I guess the point that I'm making is like, at some point, you know, somebody has got to make a decision of like what, or, or we collectively have to make a decision of like, what is the purpose of this thing? And is it doing that or do we want it to do more things? And that, that draws back just to, make the point complete to this idea of like of rent and you know and rental issues that are going on in the city of New York during the time of covid is like do we have a community or don't we what responsibilities do we all have to it 
if we're all in this together, what does that mean? And I think that the United States, by and large, has really avoided answering any of those questions as much as possible. And 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 I think by choice, because I think that we've done it so that you and I can individually come up with our our own answers to those questions. Um, and and I think that that's the our con that's been our concept of freedom for a really long time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Just to be clear, I just think that you know we're in this we're in this quote unprecedented time where like maybe we need to reevaluate that question a little bit because times are tough and bizarre. And they, you know, no, to your point, that's maybe point. we don't need to do it immediately. But in six months, if this is still weird and everything is still messed up, then maybe we need different answers to those questions. No, I think that those are those are very thoughtful and valid questions, and I would agree with that. If there was a time to reevaluate such things, now probably would be that time. But you know, now we now we'll delve off into another related topic, which is just the divisiveness in the country in terms of getting anybody to agree on anything and having you know the opposing sides of liberals and conservatives who largely are categorically opposed to anything the other side proposes just on oh just on yeah. principle so oh yeah they just don't want the other side to get a they don't they just they don't want to let somebody else get one point up on that board they yeah just, which they, is really it's you know when i think about the things that really make me sad and depressed probably that i'm not sure if that's number one but it's close if it's not number one it's close to number one in terms of just when did america Stop becoming the America that I thought of, you know, my my entire life. Because again, I have a I have a a perspective and a context that you don't have simply because of my age. Yeah. So you know, and, and and I can concisely describe it like this. So all the way up through the start of Obama's second term, or maybe midway through his first term, or something around there. But it felt to me as if if it was a Republican in office or a Democrat in office, you know, sure, I kind of wanted my side to be represented there. Yeah. But that was so, it wasn't even secondary. It was below secondary. It was, I don't know what the term for that. What is tertiary? Do you know what tertiary means? Because I actually yeah, don't know. Yeah, it's what, like the further out. <laughs> is that what that means? <laughs> yeah. Okay, because that's what I'm trying to say. So the actual party affiliation of the president was tertiary to me. I just really didn't care. And most people I knew were similar. It was just a matter of, hey, I, you know, I really like this uh, John F. Kennedy. He's a good guy. I think he's doing a great job. Or insert whoever. Um, yeah. You know, it was just like, here's the president, and let's, you know, let's see what we can do. And sure, he leans a little bit liberal, but so what? You know, this is the yin and yang of the capitalist democracy experience. And now, I don't even need to. I don't need to complete the thought. We're we're just basically at war, <laughs> you know. It's like we have a war going on. It's certainly an ideological or political war that at times feels like it's about to break out into an actual war. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! No joke. Especially when people go to these uh, protests when they're carrying like guns oh, with them everywhere. Oh my god! Like, yes. it's madness. Oh, I it's like when scary. I, the one thing that that really has disturbed me during this whole time is the number of 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 protesters who show up with like assault rifles. No, to, like, I, I totally agree. I totally That's just agree. like, dude, there is no reason to do that. No one is trying to uh, like, what are you, you? I think you look like an idiot when you do that, first of all. And I secondly, agree. it's like, there's just no, no one is threatening you at gunpoint to try to take your liberties away, man. Like if you don't want to wear a mask or like shelter in place, like that's fine. I, you know, you have a right to protest, but just showing up with that stuff is just, it's very disturbing to see. It is. And, you know, again, I lean, I lean right, but I, I, can't, I could not agree with you more because it, I don't think it serves even my purposes at all because it makes the right look crazy and unstable. And what would it take for, you want to talk about like a powder keg type of experience or powder keg event would be somebody... You know, a police officer gets roughs up somebody with an assault wife, rifle, and the person just opens fire on cops. Oh man, I mean that's kind of what happened in Dallas with that police shooting, like uh, a couple years ago. You remember that? Well, where... yes, but except for the part where the guy was just shooting cops. I mean, yeah, it, the cops didn't do anything other than just 
stand there and get shot. Uh, no, but, correct. They didn't. They didn't do anything. Bad, but yes, but, yes, no. I mean, yeah, you're right about a powder keg situation. Yeah, that was terrifying. That was. I mean, you think about like the police. I mean, the amount of self discipline it takes. Oh my God! As yes, a police officer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but but you you I know you I know you understand my point, and I'm sure you agree with it, which is it would just take one little incident like that. So suddenly, oh, yeah. suddenly a cop gets shot, cops are firing on a crowd, and the crowd is, starts firing back because enough of them have also have weapons, and now it's a fucking disaster. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. what that's what I, I agree with you. That needs to be avoided at all costs. And so, yeah, people showing up. It's funny because, well, I mean, you know the guy. You, you shared a room with him for a weekend. My friend Tracy Lorenz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Tracy is, you know, Tracy and I are basically, I would call us ideolo- ideological twins. Like we've never disagreed on anything political at all. We're like in yeah. lockstep, and it's just random because I don't talk to him hardly ever. It's just weird. We're just the same. And he posted on Facebook the day after, you know, when that kind of became a news item about all the people who showed up at the the capital of Michigan for a protest yeah. of our lockdown and how many people had weapons. And he wrote, like, I just think that this is a, a terrible look. It looks terrible for Michigan. It looks terrible for conservatives. Yep. And I agree. I totally agree with him. Yeah. I think I I, I think that's I think that's right. And I think that I, man, I think that this is just the concept of community, man. That's something we're gonna have to revisit because I think part of this is just it, it's why we don't trust our institutions. It's why we don't trust our our representatives. It's why the it's why you know, right wing protesters can show up and look so bad because none of them have a community around which to go. OK, look, guys, we don't want to look bad. We don't want to, you know, come off this way because I don't think we really mean it this way. I mean, who knows? I could be wrong. But well, no, I think you are reason. wrong there because I think what it's just the opposite. I think there is a community that advocates that. And I think it's I mean, a large a community. I really do. I mean, if you of all people should should have some appreciation for that, because the reality of the matter is, I've never owned a weapon in my life. You own a gun, don't you? Yeah, I'm more than one. That's what I thought. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, and, and you have one. been a you're, you you have been a hunter, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never both, hunted. Both. I've never hunted in my life. Guns and bow and arrow. Right, yeah. that's what I thought. So I mean, you know, you have some connection to that community that that far exceeds mine. Yeah, I think that. I mean, again, this is going to be a we should. This is a great episode in terms of us finding great rabbit holes to climb down in in future episodes because the the talking about how the gun community and even the NRA has changed in my lifetime is unbelievable. Like when I took hunter safety back when I was like 12 years old, it was with the National Rifle Association. And at that time, the NRA was regarded by my dad and and all my uncles on my mother's side of the family is like this is this is a great, you know, we support them. We you know, we, 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 they're here for us. They're here to protect our right to, to own firearms, to go hunting, to, and it was more about safety and about like safety training. And the NRA has flown off into outer space in terms of its, its advocation now. Now it's like everybody should own an AR 15. No, yeah, of course we need bump stocks. Like it just, it's just madness. Is that really accurate or is that, is that really accurate or are you parroting a narrative from somewhere else or do you know that to be true? No, it's basically true. It's 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 pretty commonly accepted that the NRA basically split, and this was this was actually into the I think early '80s to mid '80s maybe that there was an ideological split in the NRA, and the more extreme members won out at that time. Won out, and okay. it's only moved further in that direction since. And uh, it it's it's kind of sad because even I mean, and it's gotten really changed a lot just in the last i mean like i said in my in my lifetime in the last 15 years it's changed quite a bit and uh i didn't know that yeah it's another good example though i didn't know that i really did i mean i've heard those things but i just thought that was just a manufactured narrative on the left of trying to make you know make them sound worse than they really are but you know i really don't know yeah i mean me saying yeah we need bump stocks i don't think anybody said that (laughs) I don't think that was ever a talking point or a, uh, you well, know. Well, it is now. <laughs> I think that's very it. inappropriate. You say things, I know, I that not accurate. I just think that. <laughs> yeah, that's... exactly. Somebody's going to take that tiny, uh, tiny yeah. soundbite and just make that my, somebody's well, going to put it to a beat 
Yeah, yeah, we need bump stocks. 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 <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to take what you just did there, and I'm going to do exactly that. In fact, I hope Ali goes in and picks out this part right here to amplify <laughs> in social media. Like, Brendan, in favor of bump stocks, not your typical liberal. He probably, he probably. And he banned from all future Saturday Night Live episodes because he, he talked like Asian. No, that your uncle say all that, but I can't tell who talking. Is that Brendan or your uncle? <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, I gotta. Yeah, we need to end this. Oh, now. I think we probably need to sign <laughs> off now before someone come knock door down and take us away to coronavirus camp at night. Thank you, listen, Uncle. We appreciate you very much, and uh, please leave tip for servers if you can. to record me laughing at that uh, oh my god please leave tip for servers if you can <laughs> oh i think funny i think you know i say we do more of this because again i think america have stick up ass and i think they need oh. to relax a little bit you know if oh, you yeah. can't I, make joke it's just fucked up i've been doing a lot of uh heroin goofy, goofy italian accent on uh, the happiest hour let's hear it let's hear some uh, uh, Michael Lucci's pizza. Hey, Sodomia. <laughs> I don't. I I don't speak Italian. I so I I I come over Shanghai, and uh, I. Why you no like? Why 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 you uh, not like my pizza? Huh? Is it because a bigger uh, bigger penis? You don't like that? You make joke about my tiny Asian dick. You know I'm still recording this, right? <laughs> I really am, and I'm going to include this in podcast. <laughs> God damn it. You career really over now, motherfucker. <laughs> Such that it was. Uh, all right, I got to get back. To all right, wait. Call. No, this is the actual end of the podcast, everyone. This is the actual. We, I entrapped <laughs> Brendan on purpose. I talk to you soon. You like chopstick? You use, uh, you use American plastic silverware. Oh my god. Alright, dude, All right, later. I gotta get going to make phone calls. Later. Later.